Well, tonight we begin the study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful letter, uh, and I believe the Lord will use this to provide a foundation for us, um, provide a foundation upon which uh, the health and ongoing ministry of our church will be built in the days ahead. I'm very thankful that you are here to be a part of this as we begin. If you would, please, let's stand in the honor of God's Word and the reading of it. Ernie has read the first chapter. I'm going to read the first two verses that serve as our text tonight. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time and we would ask that you would open our eyes and ears to the truth of your word. We'd ask that you would plant the truth deep within us. We would ask that we would be different as we leave. Different than when we came in. Because we have heard your truth, we have heard you speak, we have encountered that truth, and as we so have, many of us have so often heard, would you bend our wills, may we submit ourselves to the authority, your authority, the authority of your word. So bless now the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're here. Um, We have been counting down the days for almost a year. And there has been mounting excitement and anticipation for that year. For this first weekly worship service as a church. But I want to ask you a question. I've thought about asking it throughout, but I thought, no, I'll wait. Uh, I want to know, has anyone else had those periodic moments? For those of you that, uh, for those of you that were a part of Trinity Grace, or those of you that that are visiting with us, and and you've been thinking about being a part of this initial worship service, and you're contemplating being a part of a church plant, have have the thoughts periodically crossed your mind? What in the world are we doing? Yeah, let's be honest, right? Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I've never once thought that this was a wrong decision. I've never thought at any point I'm not supposed to go with those that are being sent. But there have been those fleeting moments. I was talking to Chris Hoyle about this this week. There's been those fleeting moments, kind of like when you're engaged. Those of you who are married understand you're engaged and you're moving towards that engagement and that, that fleeting moment comes when you think, do I really want to get married? Or you think, is, is this person, is this man or is this woman, is, are they the ones that I'm supposed, is she the one I'm supposed to marry? Is he the one that I'm supposed to marry? And, and it doesn't last long. Just as soon as that thought comes, it, it disappears because a confidence returns. But nonetheless, the questions are there. And I'll be transparent with you. I've had those, those thoughts. 
throughout this last year. Uh, It's been just long enough to begin asking those questions from time to time. The thoughts that have come through my head is, you know, as I've thought about this is, you know, things are going really, really well at Trinity Grace. Things have been fantastic. Why would we leave? Why um, would we leave and go plant something new? Not to mention, uh, will we even be successful? It's just the thought of leaving that creeps in. And, and listen, I've heard, and I haven't been uh, you know, gathering the things that you've said for this moment, but I, I've been listening and, and I've heard things like, you know, I grew up at Trinity Grace. Um, those of you who are visiting, you've been a part of a church. You've been here for several years and maybe you've been a part of another church and even the thought of leaving and considering being a part of a new plant or or, or you look back and you think about your past church experience and you're thinking to yourself, you know, things, things are okay. But some of our families have been a part of a, another church for 10 to 12 years. And, and so those thoughts are natural. And so then, then when we set that aside, other thoughts that I began to have were, what makes me, what makes us think that we can make a difference in the lives of people who are, who are frail and sinful when I'm, we are just as frail and simple, or, or sinful. What makes us think that we could make a difference when we're just like them? What makes us think that we'll be able to influence those who are struggling so deeply with with their own identities and who they are and when they're struggling and even if, they're, even if they admit they have needs, they're striving to meet their own needs on their own, in their, in their own ways. What makes us think we can help when we're knee deep in our own, neck deep in our own vanity and struggle in those areas where in that same vain rat race from time to time we periodically lose sight of where our satisfaction lies, just like everyone else. And so we would have to, I think, honestly ask, how can we make a difference? And so we think, have we lost our minds? That, that comfort is there. Again, before you lose total, total confidence in me and what we're doing, okay? I get that. I'm just, but again, transparency is supposed to be really good, right? Those thoughts leave just as fast as they've come. Just as quickly as those things that, that you begin to think through or and I begin to think through, they, they have come. And, and it hasn't taken long over that, over that time to regain my bearings. And I'm sure many of you are the same. It doesn't take that long. And those thoughts or questions that that had come in a couple minutes, they disappear just as quickly, and, and that anticipation and excitement returns. What is it that has brought about that change? What, what is it that, that brings about that, that regaining of, of that excitement and that anticipation and those bearings? And again, chances are, maybe some of you even tonight are still there. And so it's not just something past tense, but it is something present tense. What will bring back that confidence? And I, I believe 
the same truths that have brought me back around are the same truths that we find here in the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And they're the points of our outline. It's, it's a very brief two-verse greeting. It's a greeting of a letter, and Paul is setting the stage in this greeting for all that, that follows. And unlike some of the uh, other letters that he writes, like Galatians and 1 Corinthians, um, there's not a specific identifiable problem that's, that exists within this church. And so it has a very different tone to it. And, and he's simply writing to emphasize the glory of Christ in the life of the church. And he does so with a tone, as you read through it, he does so with a tone of enthusiasm and excitement and anticipation and encouragement and instruction. Beautiful, beautiful letter. Many believe it was a, a letter, again, as I was explaining to the children, a circular letter. And so uh, many believe it, it, doesn't, it doesn't, actually doesn't have the title of a letter to the Ephesians. But because of Ephesus being the center of all that was going on, the, the uh, population being 300,000 or so, uh, it, it made sense, logical sense for it to have this letter and, and an attached letter to the Ephesians because it would have been that center of evangelism that took place and it, because of the size of the city and maybe even the church, you know, as that letter was read and then distributed, it would probably find its way back to Ephesus. But what's interesting is that Paul had spent quite a bit of time there. And when you read some eight to ten years earlier, he had been there and he explains kind of in Acts chapter 20, we, we get a little glimpse of the tone and style of that ministry and what it was like for him as he ministered there. And he, and he explains in Acts 20 that he lived among them, uh, he taught them in public. He taught them in private. Uh, he cried. He wept with them. He cried with them. He cried with them. He cried over them. He admonished them. He didn't hold back anything uh, that they needed to hear because, he, I mean, he wasn't afraid at all of any type of repercussions, whether they liked him or accepted him or not, or, or, or the persecution that might take place from the outside. He, he just was not worried about it. And he, and he explains the inv of the investment that he had placed within them, the, the, the years that he had served there, and, and the life that he gave for them. And as, we read, as you read through that, you get an idea then of why he writes in the tone that he writes later, even though he's from prison. He's remembering fondly uh, who they are and all that he was involved, all that he was involved in, in with them. And the, there are three truths in this greeting. Again, that 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 I believe are to are, are intended to give the people that are reading confidence. And I believe those same truths are what can provide, have provided, and will provide now and even in the future confidence and excitement about what it is that we're doing. And those three truths are these. It's God who sends, it's Christ who defines, and it's grace and peace that strengthen. So that's what we're going to walk through tonight as we do. So let's begin with it's God who sends. Again, Paul begins 
this letter with a very common, typical greeting or salutation. And he does so uh, by making what I would call two qualifying statements about who he is. And he's doing that for a couple of reasons. One, he's establishing some credibility, but he's also establishing some authority. And there's a little difference between those two. When you think about establishing credibility, you're, you're wanting to establish a trustworthiness. Uh, you want people to be uh, capable of, of believing in you and trusting in you and, and understanding that you're reliable. But the authority has, brings a different level to that. And when he speaks of authority, because credibility can be gained just by character and, and, and experience and, in, and involvement with one another, authority comes a lot of times by position. Uh, it can come uh, by status or by an office that's held or by being an expert. And what Paul does is he kind of does both of these things in this greeting. And he does it in a couple of ways. His first statement is, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the word apostle means a person who's sent. It it's, describes a messenger. Uh, it's found more than 80 times in the New Testament, primarily in Luke and Acts and in Paul's writings. And in those cases, he's describing it to, uh, uh, as someone who is uh, representing another person who has sent them out with a particular commission. And when we think about it, and when we read about in this in the New Testament context, Paul says that an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ is one who has had a special and, a special and direct commission from the Lord Jesus. There is something that the Lord Jesus wants them to do. They... They have been sent in his power and in his authority to go and minister. And they were chosen to be receivers and teachers and writers of the final revelation. They've gone to proclaim the gospel. They've been sent to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were to preach, teach, pray, and work miracles and build up leaders within the church and to write the will of God. They were also, not only were they an apostle of Jesus, they were also, he was also an apostle of the Lord Jesus by the will of God. And that statement serves two purposes, I think. It serves to emphasize the divine origin of that apostleship. And it also was a way that God, or Paul was emphasizing the sovereignty of God. So this, this isn't a position, by, by putting that together, this isn't a position that Paul says that he's created on his own, determined to go and do on his own. It's not something that he just woke up one morning and said, hey, I'm going to go do this. It was something specific that the Lord had called him to do. And by the way, that, that sovereignty, not only does it emphasize the sovereignty of God in Paul's life, but it also emphasizes the sovereignty of God in the lives of the Gentiles because it is God who has, he has chosen... Right? He had, we, we're going to read about his election and his choosing of his people. And he has chosen those from, you know, from the Gentiles, from Ephesus. But he's also chosen Paul to be the one to go and to share the good news with them. So it's not only the sovereignty of God in Paul's life, it's also the sovereignty of God in the lives of those who are going to read this letter. And that's why Paul is described as a vessel of election in Acts chapter 9. So while he was probably worthy of being considered credible from a human standpoint with all his credentials, he uses, 
he uses this description to pronounce in a very unassuming and humble way that he's not writing the letter in his own authority. This isn't about Paul. He's doing it because he's been called. He's not boasting in his own merit. He's simply establishing from the very beginning that he's writing based on undeserved yet divine authority. It's God who sovereignly chose him, sent him, and sovereignly gave him the message to share. There are a couple of ways I would like for us, in light of this, there are a couple of thoughts I'd like for us to consider. The first is, of course, individually, and the other is corporately. First, because this letter was written by an apostle, uh, well, and, and let me say this, it's, it's not so much individually and corporately, it's first, how do we... How does this affect how we come to approach this study? And then how we look at what it is that we've been called to do and what we're doing as a church. Because this letter has been written in the authority and by an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to approach our study of this letter in a way that expresses our trust in the fact that God is still speaking through what he has already spoken. That we are the ones that are now, just as those who would have handed that letter and heard it read, we are now the recipients of this letter. It's been handed to us. And now we are to take this letter and we are to read it and we are to study it. We should trust that it's a part of God's complete and final revelation. And in Paul's words, that what we find here in these six chapters are are inspired by God and they're profitable for us for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We should approach every week with that understanding. John Calvin put it this way in his sermon on these particular verses. He said, let us not hear the doctrine as if it were subject to our judgment, but let us subject our own understanding and minds and receive it without calling it in question unless we will willfully make war against God and lift up ourselves above him may we submit ourselves to the truth of God's word and because it is a word from the Lord and we have something of course to gain as individuals and as a church And second, I I believe we ought to be confident and excited in this new beginning and what's beginning tonight. Because I believe God is the one who is sending us. And He is using His church, or has used His church to do that. There are a lot of churches that have begun recently and a lot of churches that start from time to time. And they start for many different reasons. They start because maybe a group of people are disgruntled. They start because maybe someone feels like they've been done wrong. They start because, well, this church or that church aren't particularly doing things in the way I think they ought to be done or we think they ought to be done, and so let's just go do our own thing. And they find a room and, and they start calling themselves a church. Brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, we're being sent by Trinity Grace. We're, we're being sent by, by elders, under shepherds of, of, the, of Christ's church, sending us to go under, under that banner, um, under that banner of sovereignty. 
being selected to go. He's sending us from one church to another so that we might fulfill the commission that we've been given, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them in the name of the Father and the Son and teaching and baptizing them. We aren't going simply because we've decided to go or because we thought it would be a good idea. We go because we believe God through Trinity Grace has sent us. And Christ, who has all authority, and we go as his heralds. We go to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to Bentonville and to Bella Vista and to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and because it's God who is sending us through his church, we can be excited and we, that anticipation can be there. It's, it's okay. And in those moments when we question, we just take a step back and we remember the sovereignty of God and what it is that he's doing through his church. Let's rest in that. And we can say with full confidence that we are, in fact, ready for this. By his grace that we'll talk about in just a minute. But secondly, it's not only God who sends us, it's Christ who defines us. And Paul moves from describing himself to describing those who would be reading his letter. And within the second half of verse 1, there are three ways he describes those who are reading this letter. First, he calls them saints. They've been set apart. They've been consecrated. They've been set apart for holy use. They've been set apart that they might worship God and be in service to Him. Secondly... They're called faithful. And very simply, that those who are reading believed. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And so we have, they're faithful and they're saints. And so we have a good description of what it means to be a believer, to, to be a Christian. And the question that comes up sometimes is, you know, why, why do both? Why call them saints and then also call them faithful is it possible to be a saint and unfaithful there's also uh, questions in regards to how this this verse can actually be rendered it can be rendered to the saints and believers who are in christ and the question sometimes comes does that mean that there are two classes of christians it's one to be a saint and it's one to be faithful it's one you know saints are here and oh, well i just believe and the answer to both of those things is no by using these two descriptions, Paul uh, is simply describing who they are from God's perspective and from a human perspective. By calling them saints, he's emphasizing the sovereignty of God and salvation. It's God who has declared them righteous. It's God who has declared them saints. It is, it is God who has, has saved them and, and he has justified them. And it's been a work of him and him alone through the power of the Spirit. But by describing them as faithful, he's describing that they are also those who have exercised their responsibility. They've exercised the faith. The faith that has been purchased for them by Christ and given to them is now being exercised by them. It, it, make no mistake, it is their faith, but it was a gift to them. And they are now acting responsibly in, in, in putting that faith in action, placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads to the third descriptor. And the third descriptor is one that we're going to read in the next few verses. In the chapter 1, it's going to be repeated nine times in some form or fashion. 
But he describes them as being in Christ. They are in union with Him. It means that by faith and by the work of the Spirit, they had been united to Christ and all that was Christ's was theirs. So they share in, because of their union with Christ, they share in His life and His death and His resurrection and His ascension. They share in uh, that that heavenly session. They They have been seated at His right hand in the heavenly places. And they are going to share as well in His promised return. And it wasn't just an individual act. In other words, this wasn't something that's simply significant for them on an individual level. This was something that was significant for them as a group. We're talking about the people of God, the church. As a group, they were His body. He was their head. And having been united to Him, they were also united to one another. Sharing in that union. And so they were His body. He was the head. They were a family. They were His church. And so as, as saints who are faithful in Christ, he's describing them as those who had been sovereignly set apart for holy use. They had exercised their faith that they had been granted and they had placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of his benefits had been granted to them and they had been given new, di- new identities. So their sin no longer identified them. They were not defined by their sin. They weren't defined by their frailty. They weren't defined by uh, their positions or their possessions or their power or their prestige. Their work didn't define them. They were defined by the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on their behalf. They were defined by their union. And they were to live in light of that new identity. And... He's going to flesh that out. We have the the wonderful privilege of fleshing that out in the weeks to come. And what all is a part of that? The depths and the riches of His grace. So let's consider that in in regards to an individual and and on an individual and corporate level. Individually. As a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, let this sink in. I, I, I was texting some of these very things to someone on the way over here today that needed to be reminded of who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been set apart as holy. They were a saint in the eyes of God because of God's sovereign work on their behalf. They had placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been united to Him. And so that sin, that sin that at that time that this individual was just still grieving over, I was able to share with him, you are no longer defined by that sin. That is not you. You are not defined, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ through that union, we're not defined by our frailty, we're not defined by any past, present, or future sin, we're not defined by things that we do or don't do, Uh, we're not defined by titles or we're not defined by roles that we might have as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and children and, and how we do, how well we do in those roles. We're saints. And and I know that's hard to say. But it's true. We're saints. In Christ. Because of what He has done for us. And we stand before a holy God. Blameless and righteous and good. Because we stand before Him clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's because of Him and Him alone. And that should give us confidence. Corporately, 
being united to Christ, we're united to each other. We're a body. We're family. We're a family of families. God, God has always worked that way, right? Began with a family. Turned that family into a nation of families. And then through Christ, He's turned that nation of families into a family of nations. We're a part of that. Together, united to Christ. And in those moments of uncertainty about what lies ahead as, as a part of a new church, we can rest in, in the person and work of Christ and what He has done on our behalf. As we talked about in June, we can rest in what? Christ will build His church. And what we do or don't do won't determine our, our success. And we want to pay attention to things, of course, but, but we don't have to be so intent on some, some things that so often distract us. We don't have to be concerned about our creativity and our inno- innovation and marketing strategies. And God will build His church. Christ will build His church. We're not going to be defined by the number of people who attend. We're going to be faithful for what He's called us to do. And that is going back to the first point. We're going to be called, we're called and we're going to be faithful to, to the message that He's called us to proclaim. To be what He has declared us to be. And because of that, we can, I, I believe with confidence, we can say we're ready for this. We're ready. Well, in verse 2, brings us to that third, that third truth. Paul uses a very common greeting, and he uses a word. The, the common Greek greeting was rejoice. He uses a word in Greek that sounds like it, and he uses the word grace, and he adds, adds the usual Jewish greeting of peace. Uh, but this is more than just wishing them general well-being. Uh, if you've ever been to Europe, it, sometimes it's, it doesn't matter who you meet on the street. You're, you're greeted many times, at least we were in Romania, with peace. And it, it seemed to be kind of general and not necessarily as significant as what Paul is meaning here. It's more than that common greeting. He's reminding them of the grace and the great kindness and the undeserved favor that God had lavished upon them. He's, he is pronouncing that upon them. As Legan Duncan has said, Paul was saying, I pronounce God's favor lavished on you in Jesus Christ. You haven't deserved it. You couldn't earn it. It was expensively purchased, and he's freely given it to you at the cost of his own son. What a great greeting. A reminder of that truth. And he also is reminding them that out of that grace comes peace. A peace with God having been reconciled to God as sinners, having, by God's grace, being reconciled to a holy God, and then out of that reconciliation, experiencing a peace from God that he writes to the Philippians, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because of their confidence in who they are before a holy God, then regardless of the circumstances that might come that way, they're able to rest in, well, here's where I am in light of a holy God. Here is where I am in relationship to him. So, I can handle this. And Paul says that that grace and peace, very important, Paul says that grace and peace is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
not something we, we well up on our own, not something that we manufacture. The grace and peace, there is no grace and peace apart from God and Christ. No matter how hard we might try. And so it is God because of, for the sake of, in the name of, and from their union with Christ, who has provided for them in ways they could not provide for themselves. And out of that provision, the provision that would overflow, it would bring them peace. And it was God's grace and peace that was going to sustain them. It was God, even though there wasn't this particular issue, he's, he's letting them know, you are going to need grace and peace. I'm pronouncing grace and peace because you are going to need that in the day to day, in the days ahead. You're going to need that grace and peace in moments of weakness, in moments of persecution, in moments of heartache and pain, in moments when, your faith was wa- when, when their faith was wavering and their flesh was weak. And Paul understood that. Remember, Paul had been with them. He knew them. He knew what they were going to encounter. He, he, sends, he sends Timothy later because he knows, you know, Timothy goes with a specific objective in, in uh, establishing elders and deacons, but there's this, this connection with Paul and this church that, and so he knows what it is they need, and, and it, it's not him. Pastor Chris said this last week, and it was... So good. It's the same thing that Paul says here. Paul says, you don't need me. You need the Lord Jesus. And it is through grace and peace that you will be strengthened each and every day. You know where I'm going with that. Whether it's individually or corporately. We're in desperate need of grace and peace. Desperate need. Uh, Wendy and I were talking this afternoon, and I forget even who she was reading, but you know, we, we tend to think, and so much of evangelicalism teaches and preaches that our sanctification is defined by how victorious we are in this life. Our sanctification is defined quite the contrary. It's, our sanctification is determined and defined by how much we lean into the Lord Jesus. More and more understanding our need, more and more recognizing our sin, more and more leaning into what he, who He is and what He has done for us, relying upon the grace and strength that is provided only through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a mark of sanctification. Paul knows that. And that was for them, and that's for us. In the days ahead, as in moments of weakness, or in moments of persecution, or in moments of heartache and pain, in moments when our faith wavers, when the days are hard and long, when things don't progress as quickly as we might like them to, when difficult decisions have to be made, when things don't go quite as we might expect them to and people don't treat us like we think they're going to, 
It's grace and peace that will strengthen. There may be times that's all we have. (laughs) That's what we need. So we can say we're ready for this. We're ready for this because God is sending us. We're ready for this because we, we understand and we're trusting that Christ is defining us. And we're ready for this because it's going to be grace and, and then peace that strengthens us. And the more I read through this and the more that I prepare for what's coming ahead, the more excited I get. Let's pray together. Father, none of us are able to keep your word unless it's inscribed on our hearts by your spirit. So we humbly ask that you would keep Satan from us so that he wouldn't snatch the truth away. We ask that you would soften our hearts and water what has been planted so that it doesn't dry up. We ask that you would remove any cares and concerns of the world that might choke it out. And we ask that you would cause the seeds to germinate and bring forth good fruit for your glory and for the sake of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.